Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. I'm here with Peter Cahill, who's the founder of Voices. How's it going, Peter? Hey, how are you? Good, thanks. Tell the of, of your background and also Voices. Um, so, I guess I'll start with my background yeah. and then later can cover Voices. Um, I started working in voice technologies on the research side um, around 2002 um, and then I worked in academia for some time and I was faculty in UCD um, and then I guess eventually then I decided to step down from my university position to open voices and my motivation for that was that at the time um, the major platform companies uh, Apple, Amazon, uh, Google um, in particular um, had gone on a bit of an acquisition spree and acquired many of the the voice technology startups or small companies that were out there that had kind of um, had an IP that had a value for them, and so when they went and acquired all of them, it was quite clear that these companies were entering the voice space and they were going to put serious resource behind it. But at the same time, because of all the companies that they had just acquired, it kind of meant that there was no independent providers of voice technologies anymore. Um, there was you know a couple of large companies like Nuance, IBM were already there, and they're still there today. But um, what these companies had acquired was just about everyone else and it was clear that they were going to use their efforts and resources on improving their products as opposed to making voice technologies accessible and making them available for other companies. So for example, we'd expect Apple to put its efforts into making Siri better, not into opening all the technologies underneath Siri so that anyone else can use it any way they want, for example. Yeah, because I remember years ago Siri used to be an independent uh, app and then when, when Apple bought over Siri, they, they said the app is no longer available on the, on the uh, iOS platform. And then they decided it's going to be only available on the 4S onwards. Yes. Yeah. But that, that, was a, that was a separate decision for them. The, when Apple acquired Siri, the voice technology in it, um, as far as I understand, was licensed from Nuance. Yeah. And it wasn't part of Siri itself. Siri was more, at that time, Siri was focused on the dialogue and more on the interaction part but the voice the components of voice technology were provided by nuance as far as I know yeah, but as you said before the technology basically has been used to enhance the technology rather than enhance voice itself because Siri over the past six years hasn't really come on leaps and bounds as other products have um, to a certain degree you know, it's I, I think the, the Siri team would probably disagree with that um, I, I think one of the challenges with voice based products is that people don't really see versioning very much so for example if you if you were to have, say, an older version of Mac OS or Windows uh, from six years ago versus one today, just when you look at the screen, you can see it's a different version, yeah. even though the functionality may be very, very similar. Um, whereas with voice assistance, Siri last week versus Siri this week could, could be a very dramatic improvement. But if the microphone icon looks the same, you don't necessarily realize that all these new features and so on have been added to it. Because yeah, I haven't seen, which all I've seen is basically over the years, like Siri's have now been used to like, you can ask questions and answer questions, but I haven't seen much of that because certain bits of it are only available in America, a bit like Cortana with Microsoft. Um, only available in certain parts of the world. I, mean, I think they they have to tie it into their knowledge base, yeah. and with that, they'll look at where are most of their users based. And I think the most recent figures I heard was that now Siri has over 41 million unique monthly active users in the United States. So it's a very significant amount of the population in the US. And so, whereas, you know, versus... You know, Ireland, I imagine it's, it has to be a much smaller number yeah. um, just because of the size of the population. So, um, 
yeah, I, I think we should, we have to expect to see that that it's well, any for any product you're going to optimize your product towards the the user base. Yeah, and I guess also with Amazon Alexa and also with Google they're offering it's going to work with their products mainly with their products themselves, like Apple with Siri. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's I think it's there's still lots of technical challenges in opening these technologies up. It's not a trivial thing to do, which is why you see the companies that do try to open them up are the likes of an IBM Watson or Nuance and they're very much professional service firms where you'd engage with them if you wanted to add voice into your product you may engage with them for several years to build out a solution that works for your product it's not a you know kind of some the, the issue isn't necessarily just opening the technology it's making it accessible and making it easy to work with um, where you don't need to have a small army of consultants customizing every bit of it to make it work in your product because I know Watson's coming along leaps and bounds and Watson I think is a brilliant product for, for, for a bit of open source it's very very good at what it does because uh, most of them I've seen in the past have been closed products and Watson's more open source in a way which means it's easier to uh, I, I don't think Watson is open source I don't think they've published any source code have they um, no but what I mean is it's, it's accessible through APIs but what I mean is with API what I mean is you can, you can use it with any of your products whereas with uh, Alexa and, and Apple stuff it's only working with Apple products whereas yeah. uh, that's what I mean by open source that you can use it on, on any OS more or less but you're, but you're still just using their APIs you're yeah. not using it locally yeah. Um, so with that, it's you know you have to subscribe to their API agreements. You have to be in a position to share your data with IBM. Um, if you need any pieces of it customized for your use case, um, then you have to enter a professional services agreement with IBM. Um, and I'm not too sure that there's many products out there that are using voice that are not using highly customized components. Yeah. Um, so it's, it still is a professional service offering, I think. And how would your product different different to other like Watson does? Um, so I think for us, uh, what's unique about us is that we, we focus within like on very specific use cases. And so, for example, we work quite a lot on e-commerce where we build out you know, fully automated solutions so that any e-commerce company can essentially just upload their product catalog to our APIs. And then from that behind the scenes, we train up and tune and adapt all of the models necessary to deliver uh, a quality interactive voice experience um, for e-commerce. And so this is something that an e-commerce company could integrate with, uh, add voice capabilities into their mobile app or on their mobile website. Um, whereas what Watson does is they don't do that kind of um, automated tuning and automated bespoke yeah. um, service. Um, Watson has some APIs that are very useful for prototyping, I think. Um, but once you, once you want to get towards a real product, you'll need to enter a professional services contract with IBM yeah. to get something that works at that level. If we have it voices, how do you distinguish different accents? Um, well, we, in practice, we primarily focus on the US. Um, I think just because of the size of data sets we deal with, yeah. we just naturally have a lot of, a lot, you know, there's a good uh, representation of accents uh, in that. Although we would see, uh, just like with the same, for, I think, for Siri or for Google Home or Amazon Alexa, that if, if somebody has a, your typical US accent, they'll generally see the best performance. Um, but I think in the case of Irish accents, you may see You'd see a minor drop in performance, but it's quite minor, maybe 1% accuracy. Good. So last year, we did a comedy clip from Scotland, particularly in Lyft. Seen that one? Yes. And I'm wondering how that, that kind of stuff brings home that if you've got a really strong accent like that, or maybe an accent from Kerry, for example, how are you going to be? How can I understand what you're, what you're saying? Um, I, I, think right, I think it'll be a bigger topic in the future. Yeah. Um, right now, if you can provide a service that works to 99% of people, um, for the current stage that voice interfaces are at, I think that's probably good enough. Yeah. Um, I think it, it'll 
in practice, as you collect more data covering these accents, um, the models themselves will, will learn to handle them. Yeah. Um, but it's really, it's mostly, accents are mostly just about access to data. And yeah. you can have quite a large variety of accents, you know, across the various regions. And well, I guess the moment you, you're saying America is your biggest market, so I guess the moment you, you target that. Yeah, well, even within the US, you do have quite a, a significant range of accents, um, especially if you go down south, the accents yeah. do change quite a lot. I guess. And also, uh, how will, will voice be a feature and make a point of, of AI? Um, I'm not too sure I see it as a component of AI. I see AI as a technology that can feed into many products. Um, voice, voice technologies use AI, um, but again, it's it's you know it's a feature in a product. It's to improve user experience generally. Yeah, I'm thinking of like the movie uh, it's actually the 2000. We have like Hal and how that controls stuff and how the voice controls everything on the ship, more or less. That kind of technology. Yeah, but so voice is still just interaction layer. Yeah. Um, so in that case, you know, the, the responsibility of the the voice or and natural language technologies there is are generally, you know, to understand what is somebody asking for, um, being able to make a decision about what action should be taken, um, to be able to respond effectively to the user. Um, yeah. Whereas in you know in that case, there's, you know, I think it really comes down to what tasks. Um, you know, the, what tasks is a user looking to carry out? Yeah. Um, but I think kind of that kind of a lot of people would see that as more of a kind of general AI, yeah. uh, which I think is you know kind of quite a leap away from where voice interfaces are yeah. today. Um, I'm thinking maybe in ten years' time when you when you've got like driverless cars, mm-hmm. I think voice could be could be a major part of it as well. Um, yes, I, I think that's true. Um, but it's even then the voice interfaces will still you know people will study you know kind of what are the tasks if you're in a if you're in a self-driving car what what tasks do you want to um interact with by voice and what what commands do you have to tell the system what to do and in that case the use cases will generally overlap with the connected home Um, because if you're if you're in a self-driving car particularly where it's fully autonomous and you don't need a steering wheel Mm -hmm. um it's not going to be that different to sitting in your living room you know maybe you're going to look at various bits of entertainment uh, maybe you'll catch up on some work items, but in that case, you're not really driving a car or concerned with the navigation of the car as such. Yeah, um, it's much more. I think the use case is much closer to connected home, where maybe use cases maybe more about you know calendar or reminders or music or maybe watch some TV or whichever. Yeah, and I guess in the future, would it be possible to have basically a, a celebrity voice on it like you do with on some sat navs? Um, so on SatNavs, it's always very canned, the celebrity voices. Um, yeah. So I don't think there's any technology barriers to that right now. Um, I think the real barrier to that is generally licensing around the celebrity voices. Yeah. Um, but I think particularly since Google announced uh, their WaveNet technology um, in September last year, um, that technology is sufficient to be able to replicate voices uh, incredibly accurately. Um, but again, in terms of demand for celebrity voices and products, I'd say right now it's probably more of a nice to have than. Yeah. I mean, right now people are concerned about what tasks can they do using a voice interface, not. Sure. Not does it sound like Samuel L. Jackson when it when it talks back to them, which is a nice to have. A lot of people would have fun with it. Yeah. Um, but probably the more important piece of it though is when you say something to it, does it do what you want? And also, is is it secure as well? Yes, yeah. yeah, privacy is a big concern these days. Yeah, especially with GDPR coming next year, privacy is going to be the main concern for the next few years, I guess. It'll be a big topic. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves in the US as well. 
Yeah. Like I think even in practice, so many of so many of today's companies that use AI, you know, they they need to use their user data, and GDPR doesn't block that. It just makes them be a bit more transparent about what they're doing with that user data, yeah. um, which is probably I think in everyone's interest. Yeah, because I guess basically twenty years ago we never thought of voice data, whereas now we are. So it's come a long way in twenty years, technology-wise. The, te- the technologies have, have evolved quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I think the, in practice, the data sets people were using 20 years ago um, are probably not that different to today. Today, they're just probably bigger. Um, and I think it's... Yeah, I'd say the, the, a lot of the technologies have changed dramatically. The data sets have grown, but it's kind of just more of the same type of data as opposed to something more yeah, drastic. Yeah, something that when you have regulation 20 years ago, voice data wasn't wasn't uh, thought of as going to be a technology where where it's been used a lot more now, so you have to re, uh, rechange regulations and rules. Mm. But then regulations aren't specific for voice data. No. They're for any kind of user data. Yeah. And so I think kind of data in general is, it's time for it to be regulated, especially kind of, you know, user data. Um, 20 years ago, I guess, yeah, there was less, but it's, you know, that, that wasn't specific for voice as such. Voice yeah. is just a, one of the many kinds of data that go, that goes around these days. Yeah, because I guess 20 years ago, voice was something you might have seen in Hollywood movie, whereas nowadays, it's a reality. Um, it was used in some products 20 years ago, but it was mostly in IVR. Yeah. Um, I think particularly more so in the US than in Europe, and that you would have seen voice technologies in IVR 20 years ago, um, whereas now it's much more um, consumer-facing. Yeah. Because I, I can remember seeing certain movies and you see that and you think, would that be cool if you had that in your house? And then now you can because it, 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 the technology has come. Because a lot of technology was multi-based, first of all. And then it slowly comes in the consumer, consumer realm when it's uh, become affordable. Yes. Yeah, I think it's, it's performance-related as well. That 20 years ago, any voice recognition system was very much... They were always built for a very specific task. Yeah. Um, whereas now you can have a voice system that can handle several tasks... For example, with the current smart speaker trend, that you can have a voice, you can you can have a voice interface that'll handle music commands, or set reminders, or maybe query a knowledge base or something like this. Yeah, and I guess twenty years ago the cloud wasn't what it was now. So with the cloud now, you can store more of the uh, technology can be stored elsewhere and accessed, which helps. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think we will see a transition for it to be pushed back on device. Um, yeah. So Apple have already done it, I think, with their text-to-speech that runs on device um, on iOS 11. Um, and I think it's the advantage for them there is instead of needing, needing many data centers to power just the voice interface, they can use the compute power on their, on their phones instead. Well, I guess because technology has come, has come slowly, keeps and bounds, they can afford to do that because it's, it's technology 20 years ago couldn't do it, but it can now because the CPUs are so much smaller and cheaper to build. Yeah, yeah that's true. Because I've seen basically 20 years ago, if you're doing something, you used to have a, a room with a mainframe. Whereas nowadays, the mainframe isn't used anymore. It's more like a data center. Yeah, but it's, I'd say the gap between a mainframe and a data center is probably, you know, they're, they're still big and they're still power hungry. And like I, Google did say recently when they announced their TPUs that I think just to handle the voice queries, if, if their usage of voice, inter, of, uh, voice interfaces had increased by, I think, even 10x or something, they would have needed to double their data centers globally just yeah. to power the voice interfaces. Um, and so I think hardware is still quite, you know, it's, it is a significant barrier. And if, if modern computers were faster, um, everyone out there would have a better voice interface tomorrow. It's, the compute power is still uh, somewhat of a barrier for progress. I think within 10 years' time, it'll be basically everyone having their own. Yep. 
Yeah, I would think so. It's just basically the moment of technology has always evolved. Like ten years ago, when iPhone was launched, you wouldn't think it's going to it's going to be within five within four years we're going to have voice technology on an iPhone. They did it in four years, so I think that was that was still cloud based stuff. Yeah, that wasn't actually doing anything on the phone apart no. from just uploading the audio. Yeah, but it was so it was still the start of something, and I think within ten years' time, when technology becomes affordable and able to do on on a smaller device like an iPhone or or Android phone, it'll be done because it's easy to do easier to do. Yeah, but I, at the same time, I think there's always, um, if you have more compute power, yeah. then, then you have a choice of, do you want to use maybe bigger deep learning models or more sophisticated models that will utilize that compute power and give you better results? Or do you want to keep with your older set of requirements just so you can fit it on, on an embedded device? Because yeah. you'd still, you know, obviously still a modern server is many, many orders of magnitude faster than a mo- modern uh, cell phone. Unless you would hybrid and that hybrid cloud where every so often you could update the data set onto your device. Um, but it's not just the data set, it's yeah. a compute power problem. Yeah. So, yeah, modern servers would be many, many orders of magnitude faster than what a phone can do. So. Yeah. And tell me a bit about uh, you hired Ian Hudson from Google. How did that come about? Um, so, I've worked in this area for a long time, and so I'd have a very established network into all of the major platform companies and into any company that works in voice chances are I know some people who work in there um, and so I, I'd, known the, I'd known the team that worked on Dream and many people in it for quite a long time and constantly heard very good feedback about their interactions with him um, and I knew, knew Ian as well from the same circles so um, I think it just got to got to a point where having obviously having someone with Ian come in um, he brings a lot of experience with him um, but he's also a manager that a lot of people in, really enjoyed working under and had a lot of positive stories about so I think it was a bit of a no-brainer yeah and uh, so I guess his, his experience and what he's done in the past of Google is going to help with you guys in the future um, well even beyond Google so like Ian has worked in startups most of his career um, he's you know really good understanding of startups and the general you know the phases that startups go through in addition to that experience at a big corporation as well you're guessing his mentality of when you start up when you have to, when you have to think lean and when you have to think big um, yeah, I think they're, they're somewhat different things. So yeah. um, if you're at a very large platform company, especially in the voice space, um, right now you're used to having very, very large budgets, um, generally very large teams, maybe, you know, I think in all cases, a team just to collect data, which may even be like a few hundred people. Um, and so it's from a resource point of view, it's very different. And from an organizational point of view, it's quite different as well, yeah. even in terms of planning that generally larger organizations would have much longer term planning. Um, than a startup would because they'd have insight into, particularly in a case where if all of the uses of your team's outputs are all to be used within the same organization, mm-hmm. so it's not an independent product on the market, you can have quite a lot of foresight into what you're going to need and when, uh, whereas in startup worlds you're more you know, working with working with partners and customers and you know, getting a feel for their requirements and things can tend to be a lot more agile, I think. Yeah, and I guess when you're working with VCs too, they want certain requirements to make sure you're actually bringing back their investment at times? Um, so I, I think, yeah, so at the phase that we're at, it's the VCs add in a lot of, I think, a lot of useful input. Um, the, like the, when a VC invests in a company, their immediate goal is not just getting their, you know, getting a return on their yeah. investment the next day. Their immediate goal is to make sure that their the funds they're investing are used in the best po- possible way to help develop the company further, yeah. to help the company achieve its goals. And then they're, knock-on side effect of that will be you know the valuation on their shares and eventually getting to a point where they can um yeah sell them yeah and i guess you guys have what will you plan to be for the next five years 
Um, so I, right now we're still we're we're hiring quite quite aggressively. Um, the, I see that continuing, or at least over the next one to two years. Um, we're in the process of uh, launching a Voices Commerce, which is this product I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Which we have a, we have a, a launch party coming up in New York uh, to, to for that. Um, beyond that, then I think we're going to mature the, the e-commerce vertical, the product for the e-commerce vertical. We're going to continue to mature that, and at the same time, um, investigate other, other verticals where we see voice can add a key value, and there's enough companies with you know similar overlapping requirements, and um, so that we can build out more um, solutions. Like and you, you said about actual hiring. What kind of people are you looking for, and what roles to fill? Um, generally, so I'd say most of our hiring right now is generally around um, experienced machine learning people. Ideally, with experience in uh, speech or language technology, um, they they're generally the you know they're they're the roles that I think every company is complaining about uh, struggling to hire, um, and I think we're doing really really well at that. Um, yeah. But it's naturally the more the more um, type of people that we hire, then we see you know our, our results just keep getting better and better, and we can make pro- tech, you know, progress on the technology front uh, quicker and quicker. Well, I suppose basically yeah, it takes time to get the right staff in. So you're going to make sure that who you hire is going to be a fit for you and the company as well. Yeah, I think we've done pretty good at it so far. Um, so we're, like, we're 30 people now. Yeah. Um, 12 months ago, I think we were six. And so we've grown quite aggressively. Um, but at the same time, we've, a lot of our staff would have been known to me or other people in the company that I know quite well. And so a lot of them have come through network. Um, and so they were, they were known entities you know, already to us, yeah. so we kind of didn't have concerns about um, culture fit and so on. Um, and, and then I think likewise, even looking to the future, that we do tend to get quite a lot of referrals. And for I think for a lot of people now, if if you want to, if you're working particularly in kind of voice or AI type space, um, you've probably got a choice of working for one of the top five, you know, big American platform companies, yeah. be it at Google and Amazon or so on. Um, where you may be, you may end up being a, a very small cog and a, a much larger machine yeah. and a quite political machine as well. Um, or you have a choice of do you want to go into the startup world? And I think for the ones that want to go into the startup world, um, that were quite an attractive uh, option for them. Yeah, I guess because of the voice in the IA area is pretty small. You said it before, you get kind of know who people are from network. It's easy to find out who they are, and then you know basically that person's right fit because I know who they work for, or I I know somebody that worked with them before in the past. It helps. Yeah, I mean it's it's the space isn't tiny. So the I think even right now, Amazon's team is probably about two hundred two thousand scientists. Um, Google would probably have about a thousand working on voice. Um, Apple will probably be you know, more than that. Um, Microsoft as well. It's you know, they're reasonably a big team. So yeah. and then in addition to that, you've got a lot of people in universities. You've got several thousand in Nuance, several thousand in IBM. Um, you know, and then there are you know just several other voice companies out there as well. So it's it's not a tiny pool of talent. No, but what I mean is because the area itself it, it isn't like hundred companies doing it, doing this is this limited amount of companies doing this. So it's easier to to find something you can fit. Like you know, basically you mentioned the big five and then other smaller companies that are doing this as well. So because mm-hmm. you actually know all the companies in the area and all of them, it's easier. It helps. It helps because I mean yeah. before if you're doing a startup and you hire somebody. That guy could have worked in another startup many uh, over in America wouldn't have heard of. Whereas in yeah. your area, you'd know basically yeah. who the people are, companies are. Yeah, which helps. yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for that, Peter, and uh, good luck in the future. And uh, I look forward to your launch in New York. And uh, have a great day. Thanks very much. Great. Thank you.